Good thought. Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to continue on here in our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus here in this, in this greatest of all sermons, and that's what we've been talking about, the, the greatest sermon ever preached, he's proceeding along at a very rapid rate in this section to, to, to tear the Pharisees apart. And uh, um, it's, it's, it's no doubt, I guess is the right word, by looking at the way that Jesus spoke to the Pharisees, that he was just entirely sick of their system. And the way that they conducted uh, themselves uh, around the law and everything else. But uh, we, we have the, um, this foundational aspect of the fact that Jesus didn't come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill the law. And of course, he fulfilled it by observing it perfectly. But he also fulfilled it, uh, in a sense, by rescuing it from the destruction that the Pharisees had forced upon it. And that's what Jesus was trying to do uh, in, a, in a lot of these cases. And in restoring the original intent of what God, uh, you know, what God had when he first laid down the law, when the law was first given. Um, he had it placed at the forefront of the attention of God's people. And in the process, what's happening is uh, that he has he sought to straighten out the Pharisees and, and essentially Israel on the subjects that he's talked about. We've talked about anger, we've talked about adultery, we've talked about divorce. And now he kind of, he's going in that same direction, but he's going to deal with the, uh, uh, it, it, the, this concept um, an entirely different concept, but still from the same, same angle. And the idea of what, he's, of what he's talking about here is that of saying what you mean. And so, well, in fact, let's just read this uh, passage here. We'll pick it up there in verse number 33. He says this, Again, ye have heard that it hath been said, of, uh, said by them of old time. By the way, you remember, uh, we looked at all of these things, uh, and we looked, we looked through this passage um, many times. Verse 21, you have heard that it was said by them. Verse 27, you have heard that it was said by them. Verse 31, it hath been said. Verse 33, again, you have heard that it hath been said. Jesus is not destroying the law. He is fulfilling the law. He's bringing them back to God's original intent of what the law was for. And this is no different. Again, you have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne. Nor by the earth, for it is his footstool. Neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay. For whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Now, we're talking here, Jesus is not necessarily talking about swearing, as in cussing and swearing. But he's talking about swearing an oath. Um... The Jehovah's Witnesses are one of these that say that you should never swear an oath because of what he says in this passage, verse 34. But I said to you, swear not at all, either by heaven for it's God's throne and so on. And again, we talked about this this morning kind of with the Mormon, uh, the idea of the Mormons and what they do. And what a lot of other false religions have done is take one verse, twist it out of context, and build a whole doctrine around it. And that's kind of what they've done. They're not looking at the, if, if you look at that verse just face value, yes, it, does, it says don't, don't swear an oath. So they won't, they won't. Um, you know, uh, do you swear to tell the truth and the whole truth and nothing but the truth? They won't. They won't swear to take the truth because the Bible says don't swear an oath, you know. Um, and taken at face value, yes, that's exactly what it said, uh, what it says here. But you have to take it in context of not just this little passage that we just read, 33 through 37, but the entire context of what Jesus is talking about in this whole sermon and what he's trying to get across here. So we're going to look at a few of those things tonight. Um, 
But uh, it, it may seem obvious to you, but as always, the, we can trust the Pharisees to mess up even the most obvious of spiritual truths, and that's exactly what they've done. The, the Ten Commandments uh, uh, contains the phrase, that, and we've all memorized the Ten Commandments at some point, but thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Uh, and that, con that, that uh, concept was later expanded on elsewhere in the Torah. You don't have to turn there, but Deuteronomy 6.13, Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him and shalt swear by his name. Leviticus 19, verse 12, And ye shall not swear by my name falsely, neither shalt thou profane the name of thy God. I am the Lord. So the, the Pharisaic approach here, um, it, it was strict obedience to the law. And that's, we've talked about that. Nothing but strict obedience, but managing to miss the entire point. And they did that over and over and over again. And that's exactly what they did here. Uh, you know, they, they interpreted what words, when those words were, were spoken, um, that he was strictly bound to and which ones he could later ignore. And uh, the, the Pharisees I'm talking about, and I, and I don't mean casual statements. I'm referring to contractual agreements and everything else. Uh, if you said it in the right way, you could break that contract and it would, it would be okay. And that's what they did. You know, it's, it's the same thing that they did with everything else that the Pharisees ever did. They had this letter of the law, but then they had a way that they could get around it. Remember, we talked about that with divorce, you know? You could divorce anybody you wanted to, anytime you wanted to, as long as you wrote a bill of divorcement, right? They had all of these things that they had in place, you know? You could, you know, you could uh, say anything you wanted to to, brother, to your brother, as long as you didn't murder him, right? And that's, they had, they had ways around everything that they did, and that's exactly what Jesus was getting at in this point, um, you know, humanity has always sought in some way to shore up their words by, uh, by, you know, swearing by something greater than themselves, something, some precious thing that'll supposedly help the person that they're talking to see that, see that they're very, very serious about what they're saying, you know? Kids, when I was growing up, and I'm, I'm sure they probably still say it, always used to say, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye, Right? Uh, you know, I, I promise you, I'm telling you, I, I, I mean what I'm saying, you know, right while they're lying to your face, but, you know, or some people say, you know, I swear on my mother's grave, you know, something higher than themselves uh, to, to prove that what they're saying is, is true, you know. Um, Hebrews 6 and verse 16 says this, for men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. But see, the Pharisaic system uh, was rotten to the core. And that's what Jesus was trying to expose. He was trying to get that, that rottenness out. And he had already exposed it when it came to murder and adultery and divorce. And we're going to find the same exact thing uh, that Jesus does here. The Pharisees had um, determined, and this is, this is just to kind of give you an example of how they got around, you know, breaking these contracts and everything else. Uh, the Pharisees in their system had determined that if a man swore by the altar, then it was acceptable for him to break his word if you swore by the altar. But if you swore by the sacrifice on the altar, you could not break your word. Um, you know, uh, he was bound to fulfill whatever promise. Along the same lines, they believed that if a man swore by the temple, it was okay to wiggle out of whatever he was, you know, uh, giving his word about in that, in that instance. But if he swore by the gold in the temple, um, which, you know, the collected offerings and temple taxes and all that stuff, then he had to hold to his commitment. So I swear by the temple, I swear on the temple, I'll keep my word. But you didn't have to because it was on the temple, not on the gold in the temple. And that's how they got around all these things. And so years later, in fact, uh, t turn to a few pages over. Keep your finger there in Matthew 5. We're coming back. But Matthew 23, 
Several years later, hours before his death, Jesus did away with this nonsensical idea. Matthew 23 and verse 17. Ye fools and blind, for whether is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifieth the gold. See, here's, here's a lot of things. You come across that passage in Matthew, and by the context, maybe you can tell a little bit about what it's saying, but you have no idea what, what is he talking about. Why would Jesus talk about what's greater, the gold or the temple that, that, that was, you know, sanctifying the gold? Well, the reason why is because that's exactly what the Pharisees did, and, and you have to do a little bit of, and, and this, is, this, is a great, um, this is a great example of how Bible study works. What is Jesus talking about there? What is he trying? So you go back and you dig into it a little bit, and you find out that what Jesus is actually talking about is if you swore by the temple, you could break your, you know, you could break your promise. If you swore by the gold in the temple, then you couldn't break your promise. And what Jesus is saying to them is he, here is, what's, why is one greater than the other? Why is the temple not as great as the gold in the temple? Or why is the gold in the temple greater than the temple itself? You're, you're fools and you're blind, he says. Um, Practically speaking, a strictly observant Jew, a son of the law, could wiggle out of almost any commitment that he made as long as he worded it the right way when he was making that commitment. And Jesus' response uh, to all of this nonsense is recorded in this passage. But before we kind of delve into it, I don't want you to get the wrong idea um, because there are some people who think and who don't know how to choose or choose not to interpret the Scripture uh, in context. And, and I, I think some of it is both. Uh, they don't know how to find the context of the Scripture, or they just purposely ignore that context. But either way, uh, some will take this passage and argue that you should never formally bind yourself in some kind of commitment or never formally make a promise or anything like that. They take swear not at all to mean that you should never enter into any kind of contractual agreement or any kind of legal agreement or anything like that. And that's not, uh, that it's not permissible for a Christian to give sworn testimony in a court of law. And literally, that is what they say. I can't swear that I'm, not, that I'm going to tell the truth. Uh, so they've started to change it, and I don't know if you've ever heard this before. Do you swear or affirm to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Because they'll affirm, but they won't swear by something. And, 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 and again, but what they're doing in, in saying all of those things is, is that they're failing to realize that what they're repeating, um, albeit with modern illustrations, and they're repeating exactly the same thing that the Pharisees always did. The letter of the law, but missing the entire point of why it's even there in the first place, and they're limiting uh, these, you know, this, this. They're they're limiting the observance of what Jesus is talking about here, our formal legal speech, uh, and missing the whole point. What's the whole point? Jesus says that in verse thirty-seven. Let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay. In other words, keep your word. If you say no, then mean no. If you say yes then mean yes and follow through with what you're talking about. Be the kind of person whose integrity is so solid that when you're asked to make a commitment, a handshake would be enough, right? It used to be that way. Nobody used to have to sign any agreements. You know, hey, I need a loan from the bank. All right, shake on it. All right, I know that he's going to pay it back. We shook on it, right? Not anymore. You shake on it and they got their hands crossed behind their back, you know, <laughs> or their fingers crossed behind their back. Ah, oh, I didn't mean it, you know. I mean, and, I mean it's, it's, it's kind of a... Uh, the comical version of it, but that's exactly what it is. Nobody means what they say anymore. That's why everything, I mean, look at some of these, contra these legal contracts now. They're 4,000 pages long because you have to have every tiny little thing written in there because somebody's going to try to wiggle out of it in some way. And that's exactly what Jesus is hitting at in this passage. So uh, that was a lot of introduction, but let me give you a couple thoughts on this and we'll be done. 
Let's pray, and then we'll look at it. Father, we love you again. We thank you so much for how good you are to us. I thank you for the opportunity that we have to be here tonight. I do pray that you'd help us as we go through this, just to understand it from this aspect, and, and to try to understand exactly what Jesus was getting across in this passage, and that we could use it to help us be exactly what you want us to be, especially when it comes to keeping our word. Well, thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing is this. When you promise something, deliver. When you promise something, deliver. Uh, most husbands will be able to relate to this point when it comes to their wives. You know that if you promise something, you better deliver. Hey, we're going to go out at such and such a time. They have that written down. It's marked off on the calendar. And if you forget it, that's the same thing with birthdays and anniversaries and stuff like that, right? You better not forget those things. You have an obligation to it. Uh, but, this, but it's true. It's true that that's how it ought to be with us in every aspect of our lives. If you promise something, you better deliver on that promise. And in this passage here in Matthew chapter 5, and you can turn back over there. We're going to look at a couple of verses here in just a little bit. But Jesus is not trying to prevent people from legally testifying or from signing some kind of contract or something like that. He's telling them that their system was bent out of shape and that it was, it was, it was completely out of shape. Uh, what is God after? You know the answer by, the, by now, right? God's after our hearts. He's not after strictly adhering to the law and, and, and making sure we do everything according to the letter of the law. He wants our hearts. And if he's got your heart, then all of the rest of it will fall into place. For a person to promise or solemnly swear to keep something that in their heart they plan to break is wrong no matter how carefully they use their words. You know, I promise on my mother's grave or, you know, cross my heart, hope to die. Whatever you can say. If you don't plan to keep your word, then it doesn't matter how you say it. What matters is that you keep your word, right? And that's, that's kind of exactly what I'm talking about when it comes to some of these, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses are a perfect example because they won't swear to, to tell the truth. The whole point is not whether you swear or not. The whole point is that you tell the truth. And that's what they're missing. I'm not going to swear. The Bible says not to swear. That's, yeah, yes, it does, but that's not what he's talking about. And in the whole context, he's saying, don't swear by something and then not follow through with it. That's what he's talking about. And they missed the whole point. The whole point is that if God has your heart, then you don't have to worry about swearing or not swearing or affirming or not affirming or signing the contract or not signing the contract. You're just going to tell the truth. You're going to keep your word. Um, and I, I, you know, I'm reminded of, of Bill Clinton's famous words. Those of you who remember that, depends on what the meaning of the word is, is, right? That wasn't the whole, he missed the whole point of all of that stuff. The whole point was, are, are, you know, did this happen or did it not? Well, it depends on what you mean by is. It, it shouldn't, right? If you promise something, then deliver on that promise. The Pharisees could only look upon such a carefully, uh, such a carefully worded justification with envy because they knew that exactly what Jesus was hitting at, that, and, and you know, that violated the whole intent behind the Torah and everything else. And when you stop to think about it, uh, that impacts areas just beyond the surface. It goes underneath the surface into our hearts. We ought to tell the truth, whether we sign to say that we're going to tell the truth or not. If you say you're going to do something, you do it. When you promise something, deliver. But secondly, when you sign a contract, honor it. You know, there are ways, and, and that's generally today, that's the way that we bind ourselves um, by our word or a promise that many in our society have no intention of actually keeping. You know, there are ways that we do that. Um, for instance, when you buy something with a credit card, you're promising to pay it. But how many people buy things on credit cards and just build and build and build and build that credit and never have any intention of paying it? Well, they'll just, you know, they'll send it to the collectors and then, you know, I'll, I'll file bankruptcy or whatever else. That, that is signing a contract and then not following through with that contract. They're not honoring that thing. 
Uh, you ought not to have huge outstanding debts on your credit cards, you know? Even if it is okay for you to max them out and everything else. Uh, you're, making a, you're making a commitment that you're going to pay those things back and you ought to do it. Uh, you know, it, it, it troubles me to think that all of these people who are trying to get their student debt erased, you know, and that this is a huge thing in the, in the 2020 election. Oh, we're going to erase all the student debt. Okay, maybe, maybe it's ridiculous how expensive it is to go get an education. But you knew that when you went to that school, that that's what it was going to cost you to go there. Nobody else has a responsibility to wipe your debt away. You didn't have to go to that school. You did. And you entered into a contract that you would pay it. And look, people for, for years and years and years have been paying off their student debts, you know? Why do we all of a sudden feel like we have to wipe all your student debt out? We shouldn't, you know? And okay, maybe the system needs to be fixed. Maybe it shouldn't cost so much to get an education. But that could be, that, you know, that's, that's neither here nor there when it comes to the fact that you signed a contract that you would pay that debt off, and now you're trying to get out of it. As Christians... Oh, man, the thought, oh, man, if you could imagine, I owe $100,000 on my school bill. Could you imagine if that was just gone? Yeah, put this guy in there. Let him, you know, erase. That's, that's, that's a problem that we have in our society that even Christians get behind that. That is, all that is, is not keeping your word. It is breaking the, the contract that you signed that you were going to do it. You're not honoring the contract that you said you were going to honor. And that's exactly what Jesus is talking about. Keep your word. When you agree to work for an employer, you are promising a, 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 an hour's wage for, uh, I mean, an hour's work for an hour's wage. You better do it, you know? Uh, people slacking off on the job and, you know, finding a little corner to crawl into and go to sleep and, you know, they're getting paid for it. That, that, that is not keeping your agreement, you know? Keep your word. When you took your partner's hand in marriage, you said, for better or for worse, till death to us part. Keep your word. That's, that's what Jesus is talking about here. When you promise something, deliver when you sign a contract, honor it. Number three, when you say you'll be there, be there. How many times have you heard someone tell you, I'll be there Sunday, right? Boy, if I had a dime for every person that I heard say, I'll, I'll, we're going to come, we're going to come soon, and two years later, you still haven't seen them, right? Um, I, I, if I had a dime for every dime that somebody told me that, I'd be very rich. I gave up believing that every person that I meet that says they're going to come to church is actually going to come to church. I'm hopeful I'm hopeful, but I don't believe him anymore because how many times, hundreds, hundreds of people that have said, yeah, I'm going to come. Oh, this is great. Yeah, I'm going to come sometime. And you never see him, right? Uh, but that's the problem. When you say you'll be there, be there. If you're not going to be there, then don't say you're going to be there, right? And that's, that's from, a, from a non-Christian perspective. But when it comes to us, right, you say you're going to be there and be involved in a ministry, be there and be involved in the ministry. You're going to, you say you're going, to, you know, you're going to be at church, be at church. Those are the, you know... Uh, God's people promise that they're going to be somewhere, and then they just don't show up without a phone call to explain why. And I'm not, I'm not saying that we necessarily have a problem with that in this church. I'm not saying that, but, but we ought, it ought not to become a problem. Uh, we're Christians, and when, when we say something, when we say we're going to do it, when we say we'll be there, we better be there. If you can't, don't say you, don't say you will. Say, I'll try. I'm going to do my best, and then do your best to be there, right? Same thing. How many times do we lie when we tell people, you know what? I'll pray for you. I'll be praying for you. And then you walk away and you never pray for them again. You know? It happens with our missionaries a lot. We'll be praying for you, brother. We'll be praying for you. And then you never pray for them. Right? Or you see somebody that, that's been, you know, man, I've been praying for you. And you haven't been praying for them. And you know you haven't been praying for them. You know? It just sounds good to say that. But if, if you say that you're going to do something, then do it. 
If you tell them that you're going to pray for them, then write it down so you don't forget to pray for them. I mean, that's, that's exactly what it's not. If you, that happens so many times in, in churches where people say, I'll be praying for you, and they never do. That's a lie, and it's not keeping your word. And God can't bless that, right? We talked about that this morning. You got things between you and God. If you tell somebody you're going to be praying for them and you don't, you lied to that person. Uh, and I know sometimes we forget, oh, man, I was going to. I had every intention of doing it, and I forgot. Well, write it down. Do something that reminds you to do it. If you say you're going to do it, then do it. Say, brother, I'll try to pray for you about that. Maybe that's the way to say it instead of I'm going to pray for you because if you say I'll try and you forget, well, you tried, you know. <laughs> but when, when, when you say you'll be there, when you say you're going to do something, then do it. Here's the fourth thing. When you're questioned, tell the truth. Um, um, uh, just a minute ago, I mentioned the, the, uh, uh, the father of Shiesty, Bill Clinton. Um, how many times did he get asked questions? I mean, and, and, and I'm, not, I'm not stereotyping here, but the Democrats seem to do this all the time. You can't, I mean, it's like trying to nail jello to the wall, trying to get a Democrat to tell you a straight answer, you know? They're not going to do it because they're not going to tell you the truth, and they're going to, you know, they're going to, they're going to squeeze around every side they can get, you know, they can try to get around, but... On the Republican side, there's Richard Nixon, right? He's the infamous one on the, on the Republican. He actually got impeached and everything else. And, and what did he say? I'm not a crook. I'm not a crook. And it turns out, I mean, he knew what was going on and everything else. Um, he contrast that with, with George Washington. I cannot tell a lie and lived it. You know, it, it shows you how far our society has slipped in just a couple centuries. But telling the truth can be difficult sometimes, Right? There's the only reason people lie is because telling the truth is hard. Uh, and we, we get on our kids so many times about that, you know, but sometimes you have to admit when you failed. Nobody wants to admit that because it hurts your pride. It can hurt your, you know, reputation. It can hurt anything, but, you know, it might even mean that there's consequences, but there's nothing about a liar that is to be desired, you know, and we, uh, people do it often, you know. Uh, you get pulled over and, oh, I didn't see that U-turn sign, that no U-turn sign, you know? When you clearly saw it, you made the decision to go do a U-turn right there and, and you got pulled over for, oh, I didn't even see it. You know, I'm not from around here, right? Um, or I didn't even realize how fast I was going. Brother John, gave, you know, he preached that message a few months ago and he used all the excuses that people use. They're, most of the time, they're not excuses, they're lies, you know? And we do it. We do it often, um, Oh, you know, I sent that proposal a long time ago. My, my computer must have messed up and not sent it. No, you didn't send it. <laughs> you never put it in your computer to send, you know. But people do that all the time. We lie like it's nothing. And God, God can't bless that. I made a decision a long time ago that I was going to tell the truth. And I can't say that I've told the truth 100% of the time. But uh, how can you be right with God if you lie? You can't. You can't. And, and certainly the Holy Spirit, after you tell a lie, of course, you can grieve the Holy Spirit to the point where the Holy Spirit stops convicting you of certain things. And, and I think liars get to that point. But, boy, when I tell something, you know, when I tell somebody something that might even be most of a truth, but, you know, just twist it a little bit, I walk away from there and I feel so guilty about it, you know. Most, I mean, and and in, all, in every situation, I try to get back to them and say, you know what, actually, this is how it happened. I, you know, I'd... here's another thing that people do. Uh, people will say that you know what, man, I forgot, you know, they feel bad about lying to somebody about something, and so they go back to them, and they do what? They lie again. I forgot. That's not exactly how that happened. What actually happened was this. You didn't forget. You lied, you know? 
And that's, we, but, we, but we train ourselves to do that so often that we just, you know, even if they're small lies or even if they're just uh, twisting the truth, twisting the truth is telling a lie. Telling a half-truth is telling a lie. And we need to make sure as Christians that we're not doing those things, you know. Uh, turn over to Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6. We're very quick to condemn homosexuality, but to God, lying is just as bad, maybe worse. Um, he mentions it twice in this short list of things that are, that are an abomination to him. Proverbs 6, and, and you're familiar with this passage, but verse 16, these six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, what does he say? A lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. An heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. Two things out of seven that Jesus says are an, God says are an abomination is telling a lie. Now, God does call homosexuality an abomination, but twice in this list, God calls lying an abomination, and you don't see homosexuality in that list anywhere, Right? Lying is abhorrent to God, and yet we do it all the time. And because it's not out in the open or because everybody doesn't know that I told a lie or everybody doesn't know what the real truth is or, ha, ah, got away with it again, then we think that it's okay and that it's not an abomination to God. Lying is an abomination. So is homosexuality. So is a lot of other things. But it's, it's an, you know, uh, you ought to be in such a habit of telling the truth that the first thing that pops into your mind is not how can I lie and get out of this. It's I've, I've got to tell the truth. I've got to tell the truth. Um, let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay. That's what Jesus says. And that's the whole point of what he's trying to get across is just tell the truth. Just keep your word. Regulus was a Roman general who went to war with Carthage in 250 B.C., a long time ago. Uh, but he was defeated, he was captured, he was sentenced to death in Carthage. But Carthage was trying to make, a, uh, make an agreement, make peace with Rome. And so what they said to Romulus was, or, or, or to uh, Regulus, was you, you're allowed to go back. Carthage offered him these terms. You can go back to the Roman Senate, and if you can get them to agree to these terms of peace, then you can keep your life. If not, then you come back and you're going to be put to death. And so the idea, obviously, was to motivate Regulus to do everything he could to get the Roman Senate to agree to these peace terms with Carthage. Well, he traveled to Rome, and because it just was not something that would have been good for the city of Rome, they didn't want anything to do with Carthage, anything to do with a peace agreement with Carthage or anything like that. He urged the Roman Senate to reject these terms that Carthage was laying out. And so unanimously, the Roman Senate voted to, to um, reject the, uh, the, the, tr the terms of Carthage. And at that point, Regulus returned back to Carthage, and he was killed. And you say, what kind of, you know, that doesn't make any sense. What, what kind of example is that? But the thing is, he kept his word. He kept his word, even though he knew that it meant death. And Regulus was not a Christian by any stretch. I mean, he was a Roman, you know. Uh, how much more important is it that we as Christians keep our word? Aren't you glad that God keeps his word? What if God kept his word to you the same way that you keep your word with other people? What if God stretched his truths the way that you stretch your truths with other people? 
What if God signed contracts and kept contractual agreements with you the way that we keep ours with other people, you know? God owes us these huge debts, you know? God, well, God says, I'll bless you, and I'll give you over and over and over and over all these blessings, uh, but, you know, put it as an IOU, and I'll get to it someday, right? God's not that way with us. God calls us to be like him. You know, you can witness to your coworker uh, on your break time all you want to, but if you fail to keep your word on the job, you might as well save your breath to cool your soup or something, you know? Uh, it's, God can't use that. God can't use it. You can, you can say all you want to about how oh, God can do this and God can do that. Your testimony on the job is going to be completely marred if you can't tell the truth. And there is no you know, when it comes to um, police work, for example, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of room, and, and I think probably most jobs are this way too, but I, I know it's this way with the police. You can make a lot of mistakes with the police. It's, it's pretty hard to get fired, but the thing that'll get you fired on the spot is if they catch you lying. That'll, that'll get you kicked out of the academy faster than you know what happened. If they find you lying, you're gone. You know why? Because a liar can't be trusted in anything. If you're going to tell somebody a lie to their face, you can't trust them in any other aspect. They're probably going to steal from you. They're going to be making excuses for the whole time that they're working for you and everything else. And, and that's, you know, it, it shouldn't be that way. Uh, the devil is a liar and the father of it. That's what the Bible says in John chapter 8 and verse 44. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, because for he is a liar and the father of it. You are acting like the devil when you lie, when you don't keep your word, when you don't uh, keep your contracts. And so it's, it, it is uh, important, it's so important for those of us who name the name of Christ to live and to speak with integrity. Keep your word. Stop trying to wiggle out of stuff. Stop trying to justify why it's okay for you to not do what you said you would do. Just keep your word. That's what Jesus was trying to get across in this passage. It wasn't the whole point of what he was saying was not so that we could not, you know, don't swear by anything, you know. He wasn't saying that. He, was like, he said, don't swear by anything if you don't plan on keeping your word. It's not, it's, it's not, it's not it, it doesn't do you any good. God wants your heart. And if he has your heart, then you will keep your word. And that's the whole point of what he was trying to get across. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you for how good you are to us. I pray that you would help us as Christians to be an example of this very thought that we're talking about tonight that you want us to be. Pray that you'd help us all to, to examine ourselves and see. And I, and I think sometimes maybe what happens is we get to the point where we stretch the truth so much that we don't even think of it as lying anymore. But that's exactly what it is. And you went to the cross to die for the sin of lying, just like you went to die on the cross for every other sin. But God, I pray that you'd help us to realize that we need to tell the truth and that we'd work on it practice telling the truth, that we get to the point where our first thought is not to tell a lie, but to be honest and to tell the truth, to keep our word, to make sure that we honor the things that we say we're going to do. Very simple concept tonight, something that we started learning when we were old enough to talk, but something that we'll spend the rest of our life trying to do. And so I pray that you'd help us with it, God, if there is a decision that needs to be made tonight in any aspect of this, God, that, that, that uh, we'd have the courage and the boldness to, to make that decision and then change it for your glory. Thank you for what you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, stand at your seats with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I don't know if 
Uh, and, you know, again, I think what happens a lot of times on a message like this, somebody comes forward and, ooh, he's a, he must be a liar. He must be not telling the truth. Number one, it's none of your business why somebody is coming forward. But number two, God can speak to our hearts about any of this. And number three, we might be coming forward to say, God, I want to make sure I'm somebody who tells the truth. Help me to continue to tell the truth. We are not in any position to judge anybody that comes forward or why they came forward. You don't know what God could be speaking with somebody's heart about, but the problem is not with the person that came forward. The problem is with you standing in your seat judging that person that came forward. So don't be ashamed to come forward and kneel at the altar if God is speaking, with your, speaking to your heart about something. And I say this often, but you ought to be more ashamed of standing in your seat and not coming forward when God is speaking to your heart than coming forward and being embarrassed possibly by somebody that sees you up there. The altar is a place where we get things right with God. It's a good first step. So if God's spoken to your heart tonight about any of this stuff, anything, then you come forward and deal with it the way that God wants you to tonight.